Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson, your gracious host, uh, here with Tim Daly. Say hello, Tim. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm good. Well, you know how I am. I'm very You're tired. Okay. Tired. <laughs> we're, both, we're both exhausted, but we're good. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll make this happen. We'll put on our performance faces. Uh, in case you guys are t- tuning in for the first time, this show covers all things ideas, creativity, uh, innovation, smart people doing smart things, and, and powerful and impactful things. I'm going to add that for your sake today. Um, but I do have to say one thing. I'm, I'm happy to see you walking. Yes, uh, I think I, I, I shortly after I met you, I broke both my legs. That was uh, something I don't recommend for your listeners. Also, you um, don't recommend people meeting me? That and, yeah, yeah. stay away from Chris and don't break both your legs uh, or, or even one of them if you can help it. Um, have you ever had an injury that bad? I never have. I never really broke a bone uh, before. So it was it was a really interesting uh, experience for me because if I do say so myself, I handled it extraordinarily well because I just managed to be in a place of like, okay, this happened and now I need to find a way to go forward. And so I didn't spend any time thinking, oh, poor me or what, or if I, if I had only done something else or right. why did this have to happen? I just kind of gutted it out. So I was back at work, I think three days after surgery. Um, and I just, yeah, cause you, made have to, the you, best. you have to go back to work. The rest of us can, we can, yeah, they the couch could, listen, sometimes I really wish that they could just have some other guy to play my part for a few days while I have a long weekend, but it doesn't really work out like that. Yeah. Um, so wait, did you just survive in the wilderness for the time that you were, <laughs> were you like the, were you like the revenant with the, no, no, it wasn't about, no, actually they were at work. They were great to me. Um, they uh, they had a, a guy, a production assistant, who has become a dear friend named Will Robinson, who was like my babysitter. So he wheeled me around in my wheelchair. And my dressing room looked like, I mean, my dressing room is crappy. Let's just don't, I don't want your listeners to get any fantasies <laughs> about my dressing room in Long Island City, Queens. It's a cell. But they sort of made this bed for me. And, um, you know, I had a, a machine that bent my leg called a continuous passive motion machine because I had a lot of hardware and screws and stuff put on my left knee and uh, this ice machine. And and so basically I was like on set acting and then in the hospital at work and then Man. home. Yeah, I, I, I do not envy you. So uh, let's back up a little bit um, in case people live under a rock. Right. How would you describe uh, Tim Daly? What is it? What is it? Tim Daly? Oh, gosh. Uh, a guy who pretends to be other people and uh, makes a decent living at it. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, listen, I, I'm sort of a, a journeyman actor. I, I have, uh, you know, a certain level of celebrity that's perfect. I think it's great for um, sitting down and lying down. Like uh, I can, you know, get a bed in a hospital or in a hotel room. I can get a table in a restaurant but I can still go to the supermarket and, you know, pick my own bananas without getting hounded. Um, Very true. So, uh, um, but, you know, I've been around for a long time and um, I like to think of myself as versatile. I did a comedy for a long time. I've done some dramas. Uh, I've done some very dark things, you know, uh, the Sopranos being the foremost Mm -hmm. uh, of those. And um, I do theater, I do television, I do films, uh, I produce, I've directed. um, So, I, I just like telling stories and uh, I've been lucky enough and I guess I've worked hard enough that I've had an opportunity to do that for about 35 years. What is it 
about storytelling and, and and when i when when i look up the daily name i mean there's a lot of familial you know uh it's a familial industry right your your, your family son sister um but what does storytelling mean to you i think that um for me it's human beings i'm fascinated by what makes us tick. And I'm fascinated by the things that push on us that can make us behave in a certain way, that can make people do things that they normally wouldn't do or do things that are unexpected or do things that are horrific um, or do things that are beautiful and kind. And so uh, I, I sort of have a an overactive imagination anyway, but I'm fascinated by the entire human experience, mm. um, all of it, every nook and cranny. And uh, I've been lucky enough to have played a lot of different uh, parts that sort of crawl around in those nooks and crannies and, and explore that because we're fascinating, complex, wonderful, and, uh, and interesting beings. And that's, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Thank you for that <laughs> wonderful compliment. Um, no, it, it, I mean, the, and, and beyond that, I think the one thing that I've been impressed with is how you sort of take that, let's call it empathy that you've picked up mm -hmm. and you've taken that out into the world in a lot of different me means and avenues. Um, but one in particular was your work for STEAM. Right, to get the A in the STEM, if you will. Um, tell us a little bit about that journey because it seemed pretty arduous uh, oh, from, God. From, looking, from looking back. And I mean, it, it, it's tough, you know, because people hear the word art or arts and you can almost see the thought bubble in coming out of their head. The eye roll. And either <laughs> right. it's a bunch of snooty people in tuxedos and gowns at Carnegie Hall or Lincoln Center, or it's a bunch of hippies in the woods smoking pot, I mean, wearing tights and dancing around. <laughs> Nothing. There's anything wrong with smoking pots and wearing tights in the woods, but uh, you know the thing is that the arts. What I like to say is that um, creativity is a muscle, and the arts are the gym for that muscle. We have to keep our creativity alive because that is the miracle of human beings, right? Our imaginations mm -hmm. and our ability to create something out of nothing. Uh, we're natural storytellers from the beginning of, of, you know, human beings when someone, you know, drew a saber tooth tiger in a cave and a little stick figure that it was a human being trying to tell the story of what happened. Like, ugh, you know, there I was. And <laughs> the other human beings look on and go like, oh man, that happened to me. I, I was that scared. Like I could run that right. fast. They, they, they empathize and, and, um, identify with that story. So, um, I think that, um, one of the things that has happened to our culture, especially in the United States is that we've devalued arts and we've made them seem like something that's separate from our lives. When in fact, if you stop and think about it, they're in our lives every day. I, I defy you to find a human being walk down the street here in New York city and find someone who's not listening to music or hasn't listened to music that day right. or appreciated a painting or is watching a movie or, or whatever. So it's not just the, the creation of artistic things, mm -hmm. but it's the experience of art. And, um, I know that if arts are included in education, that 
uh, children's imaginations stay alive. And if their imagination stays alive, their creativity stays alive, and then they're a better human being. I'm not advocating for artists. Sure. Because, you know, or professional artists, because it's hard to make a living as a professional artist. But having art in your life, playing bongos in your basement, singing in your church choir, you know, <laughs> sewing costumes for your kid's school play, that stuff is important. Yeah. And it's meaningful. And it needs to be up there. You know, it needs to be on the plate with the main course of, you know, reading and literature and math and science and those other things. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, and I guess with the I'm on the board of a STEM school. My daughter goes to the first all girls STEM school in the state of California. That's awesome. Um, it's, it's a public school. It's a big experiment. We're in year three, um, but it is a STEM school, right? Like and. You know, you have a, a lot of interesting philosophies on how arts actually affects the science, the technology, the, you know, and the, the, the engineering and the math. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about like that sort of, I guess, the domino effect of having the A as part of the. Well, look, you know, uh, an engineer without an imagination is just a technician. It's someone pushing buttons. We we don't just want people to press buttons. We want an engineer who imagines a better airplane or a better automobile or a better water system. We want scientists that can imagine a future where this illness is eradicated or that. So in, unless arts uh, stay at part of uh, children's educations and adults' educations, we're not going to have as imaginative a population. So What's interesting to me also is that I know a lot of engineers and inventors and uh, scientists, and they're all into the arts. None of them have any problem with including A and making it STEAM. Right. Um, and it's only, I think, academics who have somehow fixed onto this this idea well that was that was a surprising thing when like when when we did meet, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that it was. It was a almost a fight. I want to, you know, maybe fight is too strong of a word, but for you to advocate for that letter, right? Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you have any anecdotes around that, but well, I do because the first <laughs> the first time it came up, I mean, there there are a lot of people that um, that attribute STEAM that acronym to a guy named John Maida, who was a, a professor at Rhode Island School of Design. On the other hand, there are a lot of people that uh, credit me with coming up with that because I was at a meeting. Uh, at the White House during uh, President Obama's first term, and they really wanted people to push their agenda for STEM education, which is all well and good. But I was there, and I'm the president of the Creative Coalition, which is an arts advocacy organization. And they kept saying to me, STEM, STEM, STEM. And I stood up and I said, hang on a second. First of all, this is a crappy acronym. Because STEM sounds like stem cell research. No one who already doesn't know what it is is going to think it's that. Or like maybe a florist. How many stems do you want in these roses? But, <laughs> and, and I said, uh, and, and also it leaves out the arts. STEAM is a better acronym and it's a better educational philosophy. Because, um, you know, once upon a time, there were a lot of schools that were called, called the such and such school of arts and sciences. Right. Those that's, things, that's, uh, yeah, those things right. were married. Right. All the Renaissance guys, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, all the, I mean, talk about someone who is the epitome of an artist and a scientist. Mm -hmm. um, the, the two things can't be separated. And there's tons of science in art and particularly in my business, in the film business. There's all kinds of uh, scientific or engineering problems that get solved all the time. Absolutely. Um, so 
I think separating arts out as if it's something extra or uh, to continue with my metaphor, dessert uh, rather than a main course um, is, I think, a bad idea, not only uh, because it deprives us of a lot of, um, you know, great people uh, and, and great thinkers, but because, um, you know, our culture will be so much better and so much richer if we embrace that and, and, um, and promote it as part of our culture. And I think you kind of touched on something else where it's, it, and I guess this is what I'm in the business of on a day-to-day basis is like the reimagining, right? The reconcepting of things. So when you talk about engineering, right, I almost, I have a degree in engineering mm-hmm. and my thinking is we're all creative problem solvers. You know, right. engineering, if I didn't have to do a physics formula to do it, right, or the producer that you're working with has to figure out a way to get the shot done. Like there's some engine, engineering and ingenuity that goes to it. Or if I'm a startup a founder and I have to get something done, I don't have enough money or enough resources. It is this constant state of um, just reimagining how you approach the, these problems. Um, have Has your work, but uh, the White House is a great example, but has your work in that arena butted up to traditional business in any way shape or form it it has and um one thing that's interesting is that uh year upon year the forbes 500 companies are uh surveyed and they're asked what is the number one attribute you want in your employees and they say we want creative thinkers that's so true. So that is so, absolutely true. Which is great, right? <laughs> yeah. But then you have to say to them, okay, so th- if I say the word arts, why do you get all crazy? I mean, arts, as I said, is the gym for creativity. Those things, you know, the, the other thing about arts is that it's a safe place to fail. I think most engineers, most inventors, most scientists will tell you that they learn as much from failure as they do yeah. from success. So uh, being able to learn how to fail and keep going uh, is, uh, uh, something that the arts can give people also. Um, anyway, I, I, I have this conversation all the time with people because I think that they are thinking when, when you say arts, people think starving artists. They think if my kid does art, they won't be able to make a living and they're misunderstanding what my point is, which is that arts are part of a well-rounded life. Yeah. Part of giving you the opportunity to, to, make a better living, live a, a richer, fuller life, no matter what your living is. Yeah, no, that's great. And and I think when we talk about kids, there's a lot of theories as we do grow up and we get, but we become business people and uh, heads of families and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Life starts to hit you in the face a little bit. We forget that sense of play. And, you know, and a lot of like business arenas or the arenas that we've met in, like uh, the hatches of the world mm-hmm. is like play is a big part of your adulthood creativity and your expression through work. Um, how do you approach, maybe obviously your craft is rooted in art, but mm-hmm. as far as like, are, do you have any recommendations on how to bring that creativity and play back into an environment? Oh boy. Well, um, <laughs> it, it's, it's hard for me because, uh, my life is all about play. Sure. That's all I do. Yeah, yeah. I show up and I make believe every single day. Um, and I, I think, I think there are ways to do it. I think that there, if people will forgive themselves, mm. I think why not get a ukulele and start playing it? Why not, uh, 
you know, join a group of friends and sing doo-wop. I mean, there's a million things that you can do as an individual. And I think that a lot of uh, companies have started basically creating safe places for people to play. Um, I'm not going to be able to name them, but I, but, uh, but I have read some, something about this because creative play is an amazing thing. And also it, I think frees the mind to, right. uh, accept input from other places. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, you know, it's this, and I think the ability to play in other arenas that aren't your own, there's groups like second city, for instance, where they do corporate training. And so you're actually like learning how to be a better, you know, accountant by, by doing improv. Right. Um, and I think life is this sort of this improvisational dance that we, uh, that we just forget. And uh, yeah, it's funny. If you think about it, you have a, a, at least one kid. And I think anyone who's had a child knows that at some point they come home and they show you something, a painting or a drawing that they've made, and you go, oh my God, that is amazing. That's fantastic. Boom, up it goes on the refrigerator, right? It's almost like yeah. a reflex. Like, here's the painting, bang, there it is on the refrigerator. And your kid lights up with this idea that they have created something. They have made something. No one is saying that they're going to be exhibiting the Museum of Modern Art or that they're going to make money doing that. Right. But they're getting feedback for having out of the clear blue sky created something that you are telling them is beautiful and is beautiful to you. And then when they're like nine or 10, suddenly it's like, okay, let's get serious. Enough of this making yeah. beautiful things. Away. No more beautiful things. No more creativity. <laughs> right. You know, do your math homework, which is fine. But w why do we, why do we stop that? Yeah. Um, I think that uh, adults should be allowed to, be recognized and encouraged to explore their creative minds the way that children are too. We shouldn't stop it. That's it's so true. Uh, it, and it's just funny, like to me, how escalated that of a conversation that's become. So, you know, yes, you're in the white house on television, but also, you know, I started off telling the story as being at the white house with, with the Obama administration. Why at the time was that even like a governmental at the highest level of government a dialogue you know like with stem or steam as you mm -hmm. so eloquently yelled at the the room well i i think that it's a fact that uh at least at that time you know 10 years ago we were lagging in um in generating a lot of interest in engineering mm -hmm. and science um and that's a problem i i think however that uh it's like, you know what it's like? It's like if you say, if you, if you're going to the gym and you say, geez, my legs are skinny, I better do something about it. And then you go to the gym and you do squats every single day. And I would say to you, your legs are, they might get a little bigger, but then they're going to burn out. They're going to die. Right. If all you do is work out your legs because you got skinny legs, uh, you need to do other things to keep it interesting, to keep it fun, to keep it dynamic. You might even invent your own exercise that might have a different effect yeah. on your body. So, my we've, and we've all seen the reverse of that the the guy who's super buff on top with the chicken legs. Yeah, wh whatever. Like <laughs> yeah, so we've seen that guy. Yeah, he's across the street right now. <laughs> exactly, we've seen um, that dude. Yeah, but but my my point is, if you say STEM and then you grind on math and science, math, science, math, science. I mean, those are fantastic and 
vital uh, parts of education. But if you don't round it out with arts yeah. and literature and uh, and music and all the the other things that that uh, keep your interest, uh, then you're just going to burn out on it. And of course, no one's going to be interested in science. Um, do you have any thoughts? Well, this is not a political show, mm -hmm. but do you have any thoughts with the change in administration mm -hmm. recently um, that your hard work will have gone to waste in any way? Maybe actually, it's a pointed question, but, I, I, but maybe not. I, actually, no, and I'll tell you why. You know, I've I've been the president of the Creative Coalition for a long time, and one of the things that I love about the organization is that no matter what is going on in the country politically, we go and we have conversations, we have dialogue with people on both sides of the aisle, because we do not believe that arts or arts education are is a a, a partisan issue. Uh, we believe it's a human issue. Mm. And over the years, we've been able to make a lot of uh, allies on both sides of the aisle. And um, I think at this point, anyway, we have enough allies uh, on the Republican side, which is the people who are currently in power, that even though someone every year will try to zero out the National Endowment for the Arts or the National Endowment for the Humanities or talk about how arts are ruining everything, there are enough people that understand now that we are not irresponsible babies, that we are people who are advocating for something that is good for humanity. It, it's very interesting because in Washington, um, almost everyone that the senators and Congress people see all day are advocating or lobbying for something that will put money in their pocket. So they always have a self-interest. But when the Creative Coalition goes to Washington, we don't want anything. We want arts in public schools. We want the National Endowment for the Arts funded. We it's want such, arts- such like a square peg and, though. It's like, but it's weird because, yeah. the, because we are viewed with such a suspicion. They're trying <laughs> to figure out like, how, hey. they're trying to figure out how we're gonna get paid. And the answer is we're not. We're just doing this because we believe that it's good for the people of the United Which States. Which is interesting. Like, it's like a double battle, right? It's like it is, one it's battle, weird. I just want to do the work. Now I have to convince you that I only really want to just do the work. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, I, I, I am hopeful that uh, because of the relationships we've built and because there's a, a growing recognition of the um, the data that, that backs. I, by the way, I should say that I'm not just going off half cocked with all these things I'm saying. There's an, a great organization called Americans for the Arts that has collected decades of data about uh, how students perform when they have a full curriculum of the arts. Mm. And that data is overwhelming. The evidence that people will do better on SAT scores, they make more money, they're more likely to go to college, more likely to participate in, in, in politics. Uh, um, it, it just goes on and on. So Essentially, there are a lot of numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, the math people have been in there <laughs> quantifying, the quantifying right. the positive effect of arts on people uh, if they have it in their school. That's great. Um, with this idea of advocacy or artivism or whatever you want to label or moniker you want to give it, um, I, I have this thought around like what it means to be an activist today. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, you talk about 2009, which is, I think has changed since then. The psychology of activism has changed because it's like 
we'll post a tweet or something on Facebook and and then sit back and close our computer and like I've done my job for mm-hmm. the day, right? Like where you literally pounded the pavement and you know, um, do you see um, a disconnect between what people like? Com- uh, let's call them complainers versus doers, and both may be equally as important, uh, you know, in the entire ecosystem, but. Um, well, look, I, I, you know, I'm an old guy, so all this technology is relatively new to me. Uh, and I, I saw you on the gram. You got it. But, you know, but I think that like anything new, which this is relatively new, uh, it can be used for the power of good, which is tremendous. And it can be used for the power of evil, which is also tremendous. Um, I don't, that was good acting there, I, by the thank way. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I hope there will never be uh, a substitute for human interaction because I think that's where we pick up most of the cues from each other. We're still, uh, we still communicate something like 75% non-verbally. Um, and reading something, uh, it, it doesn't always put put things in the right context. I mean... I don't know how you are with your guy friends, but I know that if someone made a transcript of some of the the conversations that I've had with my male friends, we would be in the prison for the criminally insane. Because <laughs> when, right. in fact, if you were in the room and saw us, you would know that we love each other. Oh my! Oh yeah. Do you know you, what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. The ball busting goes to a, a level where it's like, if you read it, you would go, <laughs> "Yeah, these people are d- dire enemies, and they need to." Oh, be me and my two best friends is like, there's nothing friendly. We have a group chat. It's just yeah. like your mom this, right. I, S that, F. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of. Anyway, I, I, will, <laughs> I will say this though. I think I think one of the things that I've noticed is that, um, you know, it's no big revelation that we're very polarized in the United States right now. But one of the things that could happen, and I feel is happening in a certain sense, is that people are thinking that the political spectrum is a line and it goes left one way and right one way. Mm-hmm. I think it's a circle. And I think if you go far enough left and far enough right, you wind up together at a place that's something like fascism uh, and, and where freedom of speech is impugned and uh, people want you to be, behave exactly as they want you to behave. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something that is uh, stoked maybe by the ability to be anonymous yeah. in your comments or your opinions. Right. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I believe in it, but, I, you know, and I think in the, in the, where the decisions get made along that circle, there's also a thing uh, in my novice head um, called the ego, right? At some point, I just want it because I want it and I want to beat you. Right. Right. <laughs> like, there's that. Um, what has, what has acting taught you about ego? Oh, boy. I think that um, the thing about, ego and the responsibility of an actor is to play your character because every human being seems sees the world from their point of view when when they're in it right i mean and it's the actor's job to try to see the world from someone else's point of view which is why things like theater games um uh and acting exercises are tremendously important for uh, people like, you know, I know a lot of my friends have done programs in prison where, you know, uh, an inmate will have to portray in this improvisation, a prison guard. And 
the and a uh, prison guard will have to portray an inmate and suddenly they get a different view of the someone else's point of view of the world yeah. anyway that's my job uh so i think everybody's ego sort of drives their 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 wants their needs um and it's my job to uh make sure that i'm staying as honest and truthful as I can to whatever that person wants and not let my own wants and needs color that character. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. And I think, I, I think that shows up in business conversation and negotiations and a pitch, like whatever it is, like you, I have to understand your point of view may not may very well not be mine. You know, we were talking earlier before we started recording about like show pitches and right. like one person sees it a certain way. And I have to like at least take a step in their direction, especially if I want to get something done. Right. Uh, so there is that sort of negotiation of the ego that comes, whether it's in the political sphere or in business or like on a stage or screen. Right. Yeah. I mean, ideological purity, whether it's in politics or religion or show business is dangerous. Because because it means that you are unable to move off your position or or to uh, compromise, and <clears throat> we've we're entering an age where compromise is seen as a dirty word rather than a way of you know moving towards a, a mutual understanding of something. You got a lot of work ahead of you. Yeah, <laughs> um, which I guess it kind of brings me to another point, which I think. When anybody, any of us sets a goal, you know, and we achieve the goal, there's, there's all, there's always like, uh oh, a now, like there's almost like an oh shit, now what moment, right? Like, there's a book I, I love called Sun Stand Still, mm -hmm. and it's a, I, I'm gonna botch the story, but it's biblically based, and uh, someone pr during a war prayed for the sun to stand still, and you know, sure enough, they got their prayers answered, but then it was kind of like, oh no, now we have to keep fighting. Because they, you know, if the sun had gone down, they would have gotten defeated and fought in the dark. But now it's like, now we have to keep going even further. Right. Um, even though the thing that we asked for happened, you know, is there a now what in your steam journey? No, because yeah. as I said, every year I go, despite the allies I have in Washington, right. I go and fight to save the National Endowment for the Arts because every year someone wants to wipe it out. So all the good work that is done. So you're now what is just you got to push the same rock <laughs> up the same hill over and over again. But if there's anything I've learned in my many decades on the planet, it's that everything is a practice. Mm. You never arrive anyplace. I'll tell you a quick story. So about six years ago, um, I w was unemployed and I was kind of depressed. And this friend of mine said, you want to go and climb Mount Kilimanjaro? And I said, when is it? He said, like 10 days from now. I was like, all right. And I, <laughs> I said, okay. Okay. I never really done it before. Sure. And I, I actually broke my own right toe with my own hand in my bed. So I had a broken toe. Anyway, so I go to Tanzania and I'm going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And I, and I, prom and I thought, oh, what if I don't make it? Because like 25% of the people don't. Then I'll be really depressed and I'll jump off a bridge. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna, if I make it, I'm going to have an epiphany. The sky is going to open up and there's going to be lightning bolts and brass bands and orgasms and you know everything is going to be perfect sounds like a great party it was going to be awesome <laughs> so long story short i get to the top there i am i'm very happy nothing no epiphany nothing's happening i'm like damn it i was counting on this so then i'm trudging down this is a long day right about 18 hours of hiking i'm trudging down the mountain and then i have my epiphany and my epiphany is the most boring mundane bumper sticker 
epiphany you could possibly have. And that is, it's all in the journey. And I was like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ, asshole. Of course, <laughs> you know, that's, and the reason it's annoying is because it's so true. Right. And it's all in the journey. You just got to keep going. And I, I say, whenever I talk to kids, I always say to them, listen, if you have a dream, have some extra ones because sometimes your dreams come true and then you're out of luck. Then you got to really scramble. So have another one ready when yeah. that one dream comes. I mean, even in show business, it's like you walk into a room with a pitch and you're like, you better have a, a little a little backup pocket idea just in case. Yeah, look, uh, look at all the people who win Oscars and they get really yeah. depressed because it's not everything. It's just that thing. And then they got to get up the next day and, you know, brush their teeth and put on their clothes and maybe do another job. You know, it, not maybe death. That's the maybe that's the end, but but other than that, you just got to keep putting one foot in front of the next. And yeah, fucking. well, I I read I forget which uh, article it was, but you were saying you know I think most people see an actor or a celebrity and go like eh, they got it easy, right? And you talk about just this period of depression, and I think recently, like that's obviously been a, a very hot conversation in the zeitgeist. Um, and I know this year, I think you, uh, our good buddy Jeff Spar. You were mm -hmm. yes. uh, spoke at um, this, the Peace, Peace Love, Love event. Um, tell us a little bit about dealing that mountain experience, right? It was like, well, I guess I'll go, <laughs> right? Because mm -hmm. it's something to do. Um, it just, I don't know. I'm uh, an outsider looking into your industry, mm -hmm. is, which is very in the spotlight right now for mental health. Yes. Um, can talk about that a little bit. I, I, this is the thing. <laughs> in my industry is... I believe the exact same as all other industries, except Absolutely. it's in the news. It's in the public eye. I think uh, they're the same ratio of people who are depressed in law, in medicine, in construction. It, it's just that there's more attention focused. I think it's on, the fact that dentistry has the highest suicide rate. I, I believe that's true. Yes. Um, anyway, the, the point is that... Uh, um, you know, the, obviously me too is in the, in the zeitgeist powerfully right now. And there's a lot of focus on the entertainment industry, but it's not only the entertainment industry. This is pervasive. This is a cultural thing. And it's a really important conversation, uh, because we need to start helping our little boys and our little girls figuring out how to have uh, a better, better relationships and a better culture, uh, because obviously we've been doing something wrong and we haven't been talking about it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, my, my point is that, uh, it's important to raise awareness, uh, and, and use a platform if you, if you can about something like mental illness, uh, or drug addiction or me too. Um, but it's also important not to attach that issue to the spokesperson or to the person drawing attention. It's, yeah. it, it pervades our entire culture. Also, I think, you know, because I have a kid and we talk about these kinds of things, um, obviously a lot of celebrities are in the music industry or people that she's fans of mm -hmm. are, are in, in a bad place. Um, and so when we talk about that, it, she and I were uh, basically riffing on the idea that there are other statistics that are out there. There's other untold stories. So one stat I read was like for every suicide attempt or story we hear about, there's 208 lives that are saved from other forms of suicide prevention. We don't hear about that, right? Like, um, what this question is kind of popped into my head. 
what does the idea of platform mean to you to be able to change some of the narratives? Because obviously you've done a lot of it with your success and like you set out on a mission to do other things with that voice. I, look, I, I think that um, it's a little tricky because on the one hand, people ask me a lot of questions uh, because I'm in the public eye. And I want to say to them, why do you want to hear from me? Why do you want to know <laughs> what I think? Why don't you talk to someone who's an expert at this or someone who has really researched this? Uh, because I don't pretend to be an expert on everything. Um, I, I do know a lot about the arts because that and that's, sure. that's the one where I've got some gravitas. Uh, and one of the things that I love about the Creative Coalition, what we do over there, is if we identify um, an issue that we think is of vital public importance, for instance, a veteran suicide, which is a, a tragedy, it's a Absolutely. national tragedy, yeah. we can say, look over here, everybody, look at all these celebrities, and now here to tell you the story is someone that knows about the statistics uh, about veteran suicide. So we don't pretend to be the experts. Right. We can get some attention and we allow people that have really steeped themselves in an issue to talk about uh, ways of making something better. That's great. No, it's like that. I mean, that, I think that also just celebrates authenticity, right? You're like, you know who you are or you know who this group is. But also, like like you said, let's weave in the voices that actually should be heard. Yeah. We're tangential to. And, and to another point you made, I directed a, a, um, a PSA for this organization called Blue Star Families. Uh, that's a military organization. And they had, really want to raise awareness about veteran suicide. And I was a little uncomfortable with all these celebrities uh, talking about something like that. So... I came up with a, a partner with this idea that the celebrities would actually be honest and say, I don't know what it's like to be away mm. from my family. I don't know what it's like to risk my life every day. I don't, you know, to, to be honest about it. But, but then to say, if you are one of these people who has done this, then call blue star families cause they'll help you. So that PSA went out and I had, I never heard a single thing about it. And about three years later, um, Robin Bronk, the CEO of the Creative Coalition, and I were invited to Washington to receive an award because it had been so widely affected. Oh wow! I didn't, I didn't hear it. I thought it just went into the ether. <laughs> yeah. But the truth is, there are a lot of wonderful, deep, interesting uh, people and events and and that are happening out there that we just don't hear about because, um, well, there are, there are a lot of theories, but you know. Fear, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, sells. And, um, oh, gosh, yeah. you know, a there are a lot of things on television and in the media that uh, that stoke our fear um, and um, keep us from changing the channel and, I guess, keep us buying soap. But, um, <laughs> there, but... The, fear of stinkiness. But, but, yes, but, you know, there have been a lot of um, uh, statistics about how this is actually the safest time in the history of humanity to be alive. Uh, violence is down. Uh, I think we forget. Yeah. Poverty is is almost you know being wiped out around we the globe. Forget. I mean, we don't even forget. We just don't like we we're not being told. We're not <laughs> we're not focusing on <laughs> right. Um, so I I think that it would be great if we could have a more balanced view of what's happening yeah. in our world. Uh, what was it like growing up daily? Oh gosh, uh, I mean you know I was just like I was kind of a lonely little kid and you know grew up on this in this farmhouse uh in rockland county which is like 20 miles from here and 
then um, when I was like seven, uh, these developers came in and mowed down thousands of acres and put up thousands of houses. And suddenly I wasn't lonely anymore because there were kids. <laughs> it was ugly because there yeah. was no trees or grass, but it, but there were a lot of kids. And, um, you know, it was interesting. I mean, growing up with actors is, uh, is an interesting thing because, well, these particular actors, my parents were unafraid of um, sharing their drama with their children. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Well stated. I'm, I'm trying to be very, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to be very <laughs> politic here. Um, but the the good thing was that um, you know my sisters and I, I have three older sisters. We all banded together, you know, against the common enemy, our parents, and sort of saved each other. Uh, that's a that's a really interesting like uniting thing. And I've, I've you know I've, I've uh, I mean many people have come from tumultuous uh, ch childhoods and upbringings, but I think how you come out of it varies, you know, what, without a doubt. I know a lot of kids who have grown up in it with difficult circumstances who have nothing to do with any of their siblings who just, they, they put it all behind right. them. But you know, it, it's weird because, uh, there were a lot of difficult things in, in my family growing up. I don't want to, I don't want to feel sorry for myself because no, I've survived no, it very well. Yeah. And I, I always had enough to eat. So there's that. Um, but, uh, I mean, you lived on a farmhouse. So uh, yes, there's plenty of yes, food. Yeah. Um, there was no farm. <laughs> just a farm house. No, yeah. All house, yeah. no uh, farm. Um, anyway, uh, um, I forget what you I was guys banding say. together. Oh yes. We, ba we band together. You know, the, the one thing that my parents were not, suitable to be parents they just they 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 loved us and we felt that love somehow or i did anyway but they weren't able to uh manifest that love in a way that helped us grow up or survive so we were like feral kids right yeah. trying to survive in this chaotic household with these interesting people who loved us but couldn't take care of us so um i think that uh without sounding too sappy it was the love that we felt that saved us. At least we had that. No, that's that's amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, if, if, you know, we might not have had anything else, but we had that love. Well, even like having that, and sure, it takes a lot of time to understand that. You know, in many cases, your parents don't have the tools, right? It's just like they're really innocent in whatever way they manifested or showed up. And I'm not saying you and per se, mm -hmm. but anybody, it's just like generationally tools get handed down or don't. And it was the phrase hurt, hurt people, hurt people, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I commend you guys for like finding a, like finding that bond amongst yourselves and, uh, yeah, I mean, turning it into success. Like that's the, that's the even yeah. crazier part of I it. I mean, I, I have to, I have to think that a lot of that is, is luck. Um, and a lot of that is is passion yeah. and and uh are you a religious guy at all no i i am i am i am a believer in in god uh, if if that is a term that doesn't make people uh, uncomfortable for a higher power um but all i have to do really is look at a tree or a mountain and i i i feel that i am not the center of the universe let's put it that way very good um but i don't uh, i don't ascribe to any particular organization you weren't uh, bowing to the east when I walked. No, in. no, no. Okay, <laughs> I'm, you sure, Tim? I think I saw. Okay, you caught me. You caught me. Um, 
I'm going to read a quote of yours Uh-oh. and then uh, let's see which one I want to do. Uh, it's occurred to me how similar we are in terms of our curiosity, in terms of the way we pursue our passion. And we've had a lot of agreement about the importance of artistic thought and out of the box thinking. Um, you probably don't remember that, but I, I found it. Um, if you could interpret that, what would it be? I mean, it's, it's, it, you've kind of discovered this universal truth about humans and what we all are seeking. Well, as you read that back to me, I don't. I, I would have to remember the context, um, but I think that if I said that, for instance, at Hatch, uh, when I was speaking to people who have uh, remained curious, Michelle Fowler, you said it too. Oh, yes. Hmm. Um, Who's also been on the show, Michelle Fowler? You guys look up the episode. I don't know which one it is. Yeah, She's okay. been on there twice. Um, yeah, I th- I think it's uh, I think we were talking about science and and art, and I think that uh, curiosity um, is something that is a cornerstone of successful humanity. If you stay curious, you will be young, no matter what the number is next to your age, mm-hmm. because you'd be trying to figure out what the world means and what your relationships are. And you will ha- do that thing that I talked about before, which is you will be on the journey. You won't have stopped or settled down or said, this is it. Um, so I, I think that curiosity is obviously a, a cornerstone of creativity, whether you're an engineer, a scientist, or an artist. Um, and that that's what I hear in that in that quote oh, i love that you read it because it was like it's a two-year-old quote so it was kind of yeah. it was a little bit of a pop quiz but i thought <laughs> it, I, th- I thought it was kind of you know an interesting take because I, I i i am in the business of looking at these commonalities from discipline to discipline country to country so, and then you go like it's a doctor is as much of an artist as a painter you know um finding new ways to make an incision or perform a procedure or explore a new form of medicine. Right. I remember I was um, uh, thinking about a dent. This is a weird story. I was thinking about a dentist that I had the other day. A guy was he Rick- depressed? No, he was okay, not depressed. Right. Okay. His name was Rick Glassman. <laughs> and I, I went to him for years, right? And during the time that I went to him, he started playing classical guitar. And I used to go to him to get my teeth cleaned, you know, and he would say, listen to this. And he'd play me some guitar. And I'd be like, Rick, you're getting good. But, but my point is, this guy was a dentist. And he would look in my mouth and he would say, you have a cavity. He would drill my tooth, fill the cavity, and he would look in there and he would go, oh, this is awesome. This is this cat. This filling is oh, it's perfect. You got to see this. He would take pictures and make me look. He was so enthusiastic. He was like, I know. Wait a minute. I know what we can do. He was constantly <laughs> yeah. like trying to figure out the best way to make my teeth look the best or my mouth feel the best. And it was infectious. It was like, hey, I want to go to the dentist. He's so awesome. But that attitude towards anything in life, but even something as depressing as dentistry, as we said, they commit suicide more, (laughs) was uh, just a wonderful example of a guy who had not given up on anything. He was still after it and still curious. uh, Yeah, I think that... (sighs) That in, that level of enthusiasm is both intimidating and inviting, and like at the same time, it's like it's one of those things I wish I had more of. Mm-hmm. But obviously, there's some things that I, you know, when I do express my passion, like it, it comes out, especially with my wife. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's a whole other show. But no, it's just like this idea that uh, you touched on this earlier a little bit. But like I believe in this invisible domino effect, right? Like you may say something inadvertently, or do something, or post something, and, and like your PSA, you know. Mm-hmm. 
silence to your ears, but invisibly, like it reached an award worthy level of success. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting lesson actually that I've learned, uh, in entertainment and in politics. And that is you never know who those other people in the room are going to become. I remember one time I walked into a room, um, uh, I was meeting the president of, I think it was TriStar. There used to be a motion picture company, yes. a big company called TriStar. This is the president of TriStar Pictures wanted to meet with me about something. Uh, this guy, I think it was Jeff Zagansky. And I walk in the room and I look at him. I was like, Jeff? And he goes, Tim, how are you? He was literally three years earlier getting me coffee on the set of Wings. <laughs> and now he's running a wow. major movie studio. And I was like, oh my God, Jeff, was I, was I nice to you? He goes, you were great. You're kind of like, whoa. <laughs> So, and but we're canceling wings. Yes, like, yeah. <laughs> and, right. and similarly in, in Washington, you go into a Senator's office and sometimes it's kind of disconcerting, but there are all these really young people in their twenties who do most of the work. And you might be talking to a Senator and he might be telling you why he disagrees with you, but you look around the room and one of those people might be like, I actually agree with this guy. And they might be a senator someday. They might be a, a person of influence or power. Right. So um, it's important to remember that uh, what you say has reverberations. Yeah. And um, if you can uh, you know, speak the truth and, and with some passion, you might influence people that you never imagined. And always be best. Um, so I, <laughs> I, I do have one last question childhood-wise. Because uh, I think, again, just the story you told and also as we grew up and we forget to play, is there anything from your childhood that you wished you still had, like a personality trait or a point of view? Oh, boy. Or, you know. Um, wow. I guess, actually, uh, and I still have the, I had three imaginary friends when I was a kid. Uh, Pitchy Lure, Bendy Malone, and Brian Quinn. And they were all really distinct. And uh, I would talk to them about all kinds of stuff, and they taught me different things. And I think that uh, I still remember them. I think I should touch base with them more, uh, see what they're up to. I see a comic strip in in your future. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As we wind down, uh, the show is called Innovation Crush. You're obviously well-traveled and well-heeled. Your legs look great. Um, Oh, I see it. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I have a scar, but I, I... in band camp, don't tell anybody. I told you this. I went to band camp in high school, uh-huh. and uh, band camp. Yeah, it was, it was literally one time in band camp. Yeah. I was running around. I jumped over a pile of bricks. Who does that? Uh-huh. And uh, my shin got caught on the like the very last like uh, landing part. And there's a, a divot. By the way, can I just digress? You have a degree in engineering, and you went to band camp. Okay, yeah, there's I'm, music. I'm not your average black man. There's music and there's <laughs> science. I'm just saying. Yeah, well, that's why you're hey, such a well-rounded. I'm, I'm one of them. You're you're a steam guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you've traveled the world and seen things uh, and portrayed different characters, is there something out there that you personally have an innovation crush on? Uh, it might be a meal you've had. It might be a robot you saw. It might be, I don't, who knows, a book you came across. Oh, an innovation. Uh, what gives you goosebumps? What's something you saw? You're like, um, gee, I think that I, I'm trying to think of a specific instance, but um, whenever I see kindness, um, it always impresses me mm. and gives me hope. Um, and I've seen different small kindnesses 
all over the world. Yeah. And I and I sort of connect kindness in a way to common sense. I think that people, most of us, are imbued with common sense if we just get the rest of the crap out of the way. The yeah. labels and the teams and the and the political parties, all that stuff. That we we have an innate sense of when something is is right. You know, I, I remember I'll tell you a story. One time when I was very young, I was driving across the United States and I was a dirty, smelly hippie, if you if you can imagine <laughs> that. And I had this nineteen fifty-six Chevy pickup truck with a Pontiac Firebird four hundred engine in it, right? It was a real hot nice. rod. Yeah. And I hadn't slept in like two days. And I wound up in West Virginia and my engine mount broke. So the engine was about to fall out oh. of my truck. It was a Sunday afternoon and I pulled over uh, into this gas station. I said, you got a welder here? And it was a Sunday afternoon. This guy was like, I mean, he talked about, he, it was all like, yeah. well, you might try to go and talk to Raw over there. He'd go, me might do it for it. So I pull up to this house, right? And, and there are these people having Sunday dinner. This guy came out and looked me up and down. And he said, let's go in the garage. And we welded my engine mount back on together. And they invited me to Sunday dinner. He wouldn't let me pay for a thing. And I thought, I, I, I don't know. I mean, look, also, I'm a white guy. So maybe things would yeah. be different if, no, you, if that happened to you. But, I've encountered that guy but, a time or two in my life as but, well. But I'm just saying, that, yeah. like, that, you know, when, when people are kind, it's, it, it, it's meaningful. And, yeah. it, and, it, and, it, and it, 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 it has reverberations it's like the the pebble in the pond you know yeah uh so uh um that's just a a small example of it but when i see it whether it's directed at me or directed at other yeah. people it gives me hope i like the I, I i look at these micro moments of kindness one of my favorite things to see is someone look at their phone smile mm-hmm. and then put it away like I, I have no idea what that little intimate moment was that they just got whether it was i love you or text or they saw something funny but that little just moment of joy, you just saw that because we all like how many of us are just like face down in our phones as we're going about our day, yeah. driving, skiing and Sundance. So were you on your, were yeah, you on your phone? I was, were you, no, I was you not were, on my phone. <laughs> you were sending a text message going yeah. down. <laughs> um, and, I, I, one other thing I will say, you know, on the subject of, of common sense is that, you know, whatever you think of Madam Secretary, the show that I'm doing now, one of the things that is brilliant about the show is that we never mention a political party and it's interesting that's true because our fan base is almost equal on both sides of the aisle and what that does by removing that label it forces people to listen to the ideas and when they listen to the ideas they're more often than not thinking like that makes sense that's reasonable yeah and their common sense comes out and then they're they're not skewed one way or the other it's almost like it's almost like a blind taste test right like what would you choose if you didn't know where it came from Right. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like you said, I'm a Coke guy. No, I'm a Pepsi guy. And then you taste it like, yeah. oh, hmm, RC Cola is the best. Well, wow. thing, you know, when they did that, uh, it was when they called it Obamacare versus the, the, the Affordable Care Act. Right. And yeah. it was like, no, Obamacare I love the Affordable <laughs> Care Act. I can't stand Obamacare. Um, dude, it's the same it's thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. Um, complete this phrase for me. Oh, ready gosh. for some improvisation? Okay. Some, I'm ready. I'm not good at improv. Uh, Hey, yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> um, innovation to me is imagination. Hmm. Well stated. And now you're going to bring back your imaginary friends. So yeah, this that, is a full circle moment yeah, for you. P- Pitchy Lure told me to say that. <laughs> Pitchy Lure. Pitchy Lure. <laughs> where, where do these names come from? I don't know. Brian Quinn, Bendy Malone. The two of them are Irish, clearly. Yes. Pitchy Lure. I don't they know. They seem like like brothers, like yeah, the they, last two. Yeah, they're cousins anyway. 
Um, where can people go f- find some more Tim Daly? Um, where do you want people to go? You want them to watch more Madam Secretary? Uh, they can watch Madam Secretary. By the way, I worked on the, when that show launched. I helped do some promotions for it. Thank you so yes, much. Client of mine. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Um, Madam Secretary is coming back on the air on October s- something's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, October something um, with an S. Yes, six, I think. Uh, whatever that Sunday is. So you can watch that. Also, uh, my famous sister, Tyne Daly, or America's Tyne Daly, as I like to call her, <laughs> uh, and I are doing a play together at the Cherry Land Theater under the auspices of. Uh, um, the uh, oh gosh, they're gonna kill me. <laughs> the, the, uh, huh? eh. Anyway, we're doing yeah. a play at the Chairline Theater. Google it. Um, yeah. uh, called Downstairs. That's written by Teresa Rebeck, and that will start previews November seventh, I believe, and run through uh, December twenty second. So awesome! If you want to see the Daily Kids live on stage, is it weird be. acting with your? I guess it's work. Let's call it working yeah. with your sibling. Right, because I always like whenever I watch siblings on a screen or even like in business together, I'm like, is it is it weird? It's weird for a minute, um, and then and then it's okay. I find that uh, Tyne and I are are we we have a similar kind of work ethic, so um, you know it 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 clicked in very quickly. I find it's more difficult for me sometimes to work with male actors that I like, and there have been a couple. That I literally, we look at each other and we think we are grown men. We have makeup on, we're in <laughs> costumes, and we're pretending to be other people. This is ridiculous. Right. And we just can't do it without laughing. <laughs> um, that's the play I want to see. Yeah. Um, Tim Daly and his male friends in an all male review. Um, so, anyway, thank you for joining us. This has been an amazing conversation. Thank you, Chris. It's been fun. And a long overdue so um, thank you. Yeah, we'll do it again someday. As, as we should. Uh, everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time.